Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is May 21st, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How are you, my man? Oh, you know, I was really hot. And now I'm, you know, now it's raining and it's kind of cooled off a bit. But, uh, you know, it's still hot. It's supposed to be 30 today with thunder showers. So, oh, great. Well, I uh, love some of that rain here. It's, uh, we've had the hot weather, but we've had a lot of forest fire smoke blowing in. Um, by no means are we Edmonton or Calgary, but I know driving to work the other morning, I actually decided to step out and take a picture of the, the orange ball in the sky, which was the sun. And uh, it was really weird how it blew in. I was at the gym and I went in, I think it was Tuesday. And it was actually quite nice out when I went in, very clear. And I'm in the gym, usually about two hours. And I came out and it was windy and there was just a thick cloud of smoke and you could just taste it in the air. It was so thick. And I was like, okay, that blew in awful quickly. And it's just sort of been in and out since. So it's, uh, yeah, we got some pretty poor air quality warnings here because we've got fires in northern Saskatchewan as well. But again, nothing to the magnitude of Alberta. They've re they're really getting the crap beat out of them. So I feel awful for them, but we've got some rain in the forecast at least. So uh, yeah, keep sending that our way, would you? Yeah, we had, uh, we had the same thing happen. Uh, I think it was on Tuesday when I mean, we, I, we started working in the morning. It was... It was clear you could see kind of a bit of a haze off in the distance and then by by 12 o'clock uh this the smoke had like rolled right in and uh and you could and it was you know you got a headache from it and uh um and then on uh friday we got a short little five minute downpour and then all day yesterday it was just off and on all day it was like every couple of hours we got a 15 minute downpour and uh but it's all coming along with thunder and lightning so uh and then this morning i woke up at i think it was about 4 a.m and there was uh there it was raining but we but i was also hearing the thunder rolling too so there's you know there's lightning accompanying it which is not good but uh but yeah, I mean, Alberta's getting pretty hit pretty hard right now, and uh, uh, northern BC as well. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, June for for you know this the southern part of BC here, June is the rainiest part of the of the year. Like it's the rainiest month of the year. So this is when we really want that rain is uh, in June. Like a lot of people say, oh yeah, we want it to rain a lot in the spring, um, but that's actually not when you want it to rain because because if it rains in the spring it promotes growth of you know grass and all of that it, get, the, the, it gets really uh you get a lot of a lot of fuel growth in on the forest floor right and then uh and then it gets hot and it dries out by the time summer rolls around and then you've got all this fuel in the in the uh in the forest so what you really want is for it to be not as dry as it has been, but you do want it to be dry in the spring. And then in June, you want it to rain like crazy so that you get all that moisture, right? And you have green grass and all that going into the summer. 
Um, but, uh, you know, mother nature does what it wants. And, uh, and we're seeing that again this year. I mean, it just, it just seems like, you know, every year there's no such thing as normal, by the way. Uh, you know, all these people saying, Oh, this is not normal. It's normal. Not being normal is normal. Cause I've never, I work outside. I have never seen a quote unquote normal year. Oh yeah, totally. So um, one housekeeping note I want to bring up is I want to apologize for my audio from last week's show. I was a little tinny. I was uh, doing my part of the show from the driver's seat of a semi-truck, not driving, but I, uh, I should have pulled the curtain around so that I had the, something to absorb the, the sound a bit. Instead, it was bouncing back at us off the windshield. So my bad, Canada, but uh, I'm back at home in the... Uh, the quote unquote home studio, aka my living room today. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't really your audio that was the problem anyway. Uh, it was the connection with uh, with Max there. Uh, well, that, that one, yeah, that was that yeah. was bad. Yeah, but halfway through, it really went south. But he was in uh, rural Manitoba and Winkler, and I guess uh, must not have had a good good signal there. But yeah, well, it was a good interview. It was, it was short, but it was a good one. Um, I, uh, I do have to say, I was, I was a little surprised that the first thing he brought up as, uh, as platform items was abortion. And uh, uh, because, I mean, that's just going to come back to bite him in the ass uh, in a general election. Um, because in Canada, supporting, supporting uh, anti-abortion in Canada is just a political, it's political suicide. And, uh, and he's going to be on the record, you know, supporting uh, anti-abortion or pro-life. Um, whether you agree with it or not, the fact is that in Canada, that's political suicide. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you brought that up after the interview and we talked about that. And I don't really know where that had come from because that's not something he'd ever talked about before. And then I... Uh, thought about it after you and I talked to the case, obviously trying to draw some of those social conservatives away from, from Polyev, but you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, and you and I are both pro-life, but we know that that's just not a winning issue in Canada. So uh, I like Max, but yeah, I did not see that coming because he's, we've interviewed him three times now and neither of the first two interviews, did he ever even go near that subject? So it was, uh, it was quite a surprise to have him bring it up. I mean, it's uh good for him for you know taking a stand and being the you know the only one having that discussion but you you're, you you said it absolutely right like in a general election that's going to come back to haunt him and i uh yeah i don't know uh i don't know if that was necessarily the hill he should die on no no I mean, and i mean it might work in that riding that he's running in but but it's not going to work outside of that um I mean, it's it's almost like he's sacrificing long time long term gain for short term gain, and um, that's unfortunate because I, I just it, I, it's not going to play well in a general election. Well, here's a thought I had about that after you and I had talked, and I thought maybe what he's calculating is that okay, get elected, bring the bill up, the bill will get defeated. And then he can say, okay, well, hey, I tried. And then just drop the subject. And I thought that would be, well, that would be something a politician would do. So you yeah. never know. But. Yeah, I mean, there, there's one thing that, uh, you know, he, he said that is true, is that there is no 
abortion legislation in Canada. Right. We're we're like the only first world country that has no actual abortion law on the books. So like if you look at the Canadian Penal Code, there is actually no law on the books in Canada talking about abortion and when when it's legal and when it's not. It, you are legally allowed to abort a a pregnancy in Canada right up until the point of birth. And um and uh most Canadians don't know that. They think oh the US is like that they disparage the US for that policy and they look down on them for that but yet Canada is actually worse. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. And uh and and I mean most doctors in Canada won't do an abortion past 13 weeks which which uh I'm actually quite surprised that the federal liberals are actually allowing doctors to make that you know conscience decision um that uh that they won't do abortions past 13 weeks I mean I I've I know a couple of people who've had abortions and they say that they had to get it done before that 13 week period because other after that their doctor wasn't going to do it um so that's good I mean I'm glad that doctors in this country have taken a stand and said you know we won't do them past 13 weeks but legally there's nothing stopping them um so I mean that's it that, that is something that we do need in this country is an actual abortion law whether you support abortion or not we need a law right and and I mean I, I'm comfortable with the 13 weeks I'm I mean I'd be more comfortable with you know like a um you know, 10 weeks or eight weeks. But I mean, I understand too, that sometimes you don't like women don't even know they're pregnant until they're, you know, at least six weeks along. Um, but, uh, but I would be, you know, a lot more comfortable with, with a, with a shorter um, time frame. But uh, so, I mean, that is something that the country needs. He was right about that. We do need a law, but, but, God, do we really need to discuss this when doctors have taken it into their own hand at this point? Um, I don't That's know. a good point. I mean, uh, and Max did an interview after he and I talked with True North, and they kind of furthered the discussion to, to say, what, well, exactly what you said. I mean, we don't have a law on the books, and we need one. And then uh, Andrew Lawton was trying to nail him down to a, you know, if he's pro-life or pro-choice, and he just said, I'm not going to answer because the issue is we need a law. And uh, I thought, okay, that I agree with. We do need a law. But yeah, yeah. the way he, uh, you know, brought it up on, on our show and on True North for that matter was just uh, a little, I guess a little, a uh, little shocking. So he did have the right. shock jock effect. So yeah. Okay. Canada on the show today, we've got a good one for you an Alberta election debate, and more. The special rapporteur's report coming up. Is our government funding Chinese police stations? What the hell is going on in BC? And more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's, let's, uh, let's start with my home province. What the hell is happening here? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, the sole NDP provincial government in this country has decided it's time for private health care. Whoa. So what the heck's going on with cancer patients? Well, apparently, 
the you know the big bad evil United States healthcare system is not bad or evil enough for the BC government not to use it. What? <laughs> Apparently, BC cancer patients are being sent across the border to receive cancer treatment in Washington state. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the hypocrisy of Canadians and Canadian governments. They disparage and demonize the U.S. healthcare system uh, as being, you know, this horrible for-profit system that has these terrible outcomes and people lose their houses and yada, yada, yada. But it seems that we need them a lot more than they need us for to deliver healthcare to their citizens. Like we, and this isn't the first time they, many governments across this country have signed deals with American healthcare providers to send our patients across the border to receive treatment because our own healthcare system is overrun and overtaxed and can't do it. Um, and we're in that boat again. I mean, uh, we've talked about it on this show many times where I have, where I've said, if you want, if you need, if you have, have had a biopsy and you find out that you have cancer, it is an eight week waiting period to get treatment in BC. Well, the government of BC has finally decided that that's not good enough. And they are shipping patients across the border to get faster treatment. Well, it's about bloody time. I mean, and everybody listening, I'm sure knows at least one person who has said to hell with this, this and gone across the border themselves to get surgeries or treatments of, of some kind. I know probably a handful of people in my own circle that have gone to Mexico to pay for treatments that they've needed. And yeah, we, we taught, we curse about the system all the time, but yet uh, people I know that have gone to Mexico say that the facilities they've been to, usually in Tijuana seems to be where they go. And they said, man, look, we were talking state-of-the-art facilities. You could eat off the floor there. And so and all they say is, heck yeah, I'd go back again. And then my, I say, well, why can't we get that here? Well, we can, but you just got to wait a year and a half. Well, yeah, I guess Viva, Viva El Mexico and, uh, you know, God bless America. Away we go. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just, I just find it, you know, really funny not funny haha but you know peculiar yeah. peculiar in that in that the our governments do nothing but disparage and demonize the american healthcare system but our healthcare system is you know for lack of a better term is pooping the bed right now and uh and we have to turn to that horrible awful you know, for-profit system in the U.S. to deliver our health care for us. And it, it actually makes me mad. It makes me really angry that they, that they do that, that they, that they, you know, disparage it all the time. You know, American 
style healthcare. Remember all the time you hear this in elections. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. The conservatives want American style healthcare. Well, maybe we should have it because it seems to be doing a better job than we are because you're turning to it to use it to deliver healthcare system or to deliver healthcare to uh, BC residents. Well, and the funny thing is, it's uh, it's exactly the way you and I have talked about changing the system for over 20 years. We've said um, allow a private option, you know, still on the taxpayer dime, and that's exactly what BC is doing right now. They're paying the freight. It's not the BC cancer patients paying out of pocket to go to Bellingham. It is the BC government sending them there. And it's like, okay, if we're doing this already, then why don't we have the clinics here so that there's Canadian jobs and money going into Canadian business? That's evil. That's evil. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's evil, but hey, we got to use it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like it's, it's so ridiculous because the, the uh the good healthcare system you know the the morally right healthcare system is not delivering yeah not at all so um so what else in bc is not delivering uh, we've suddenly got a, a change of heart for a politician that you know well yeah uh former ndp mla harry lolly he uh he's a multiple time uh MLA for um, the merit area. Uh, the The riding has changed names over over the years and changed boundaries a few times. Um, and he uh, he he's he's been an NDP MLA, I believe, four times, maybe five times um, for that riding. Uh, he has decided to, I mean, despite not being an MLA at the moment, cross the floor um, to the uh, BC United Party, which uh, is formerly the BC Liberal Party. Um, Now it sounds like a soccer team from England. Uh, (laughs) The uh, BC United Party uh, has accepted him with open arms, uh, which really surprises me because Harry Lally has been a bit of a, um, excuse the language, shit disturber in inside the NDP um, caucus for many, many years. Um, he was part of the Baker's Dozen, uh, which was a uh, group of 13 uh, NDP MLAs that publicly called for the resignation of uh, Carol James, who was the leader in 2009, and she it worked in 2010. She stepped down. Uh, he subsequently ran for the leadership, um, and uh, just had to pull out because he couldn't get enough support. Um, so it was very you know self-serving what he did, uh, he, and he's done this a few times, like like very self-serving things that he has done uh he he to me i know i said before this i was going to be careful with my words i'm not uh he <laughs> he he's an opportunist politician and this latest move proves it i mean he's been an ndp member for what 30 years 
I mean, how do you suddenly have a change of heart in your politics after 30 years? And, uh, and you want to become a little more conservative. I, I, I don't, I don't understand that. Uh, especially considering that the merit riding um, is, is having its boundaries re, uh, redrawn. And uh, part of the, the, the riding, the current, the current BC United MLA uh, is mo- like that, her riding, the riding is being split and the boundaries being redrawn. And so she will be, so now there's an opening. There's an opening in the same riding because that riding's been split in the next election. And it's current, that seat is currently held by a BC United MLA. So it, I'm not saying this is what's happening, but it, appears as though he's seen an opportunity to get back into the legislature by because the writing is currently held by a bc united mla that writing's now going to be split in 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 half and there's an opening now for someone to run as a bc united mla so not convenient yeah so um yeah uh i i don't know what to say i just please merit and area do not allow him to become your bc united mla okay this is not this is just he oh God, I mean, it's as obvious as anything I've ever seen what he's doing right now. Oh, and, totally. Yeah, now that you've explained it this way, yeah, that's because uh, you, yeah. you before we started the show, you had mentioned he made the switch, but now that makes a hell of a lot more sense why. So, uh, yeah, total opportunism. Yeah. And he, he's just, I've, I've known his family and and that for for decades because i grew up there and uh yeah it's just i've i've never thought he was a uh a reputable politician let's put it that way um and i don't think that his actions over the decades have 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 you know changed that opinion at all so um i'm just very surprised that Kevin Falcon, the leader of the BC United Party, actually welcomed him. Um, I, I mean, I was not happy with Kevin Falcon's winning the leadership. Um, I'm not a fan of his, so I don't know. Maybe the they kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> well, perhaps. So uh, yeah. Well, let's move over one province to Alberta. The uh, election for Alberta is going to be next Monday, May 29th. And they had a leader's debate on Thursday, I believe it was. Now, I didn't watch the debate live. I did watch some highlights of it afterward. And it's uh, it's very typical. I applaud the leader's commission or leader's debate commission, I should say, because it's the same commission that actually set the rules for the 
televised debates for the conservative party leadership, the uh, federal elections, et cetera, they finally got it right. And that the debate was only between the two front runners who could possibly become premier. So it was just Rachel Notley, Danielle Smith. So there was no other candidates who had no chance of becoming premier, just sniping in so they could get attention. So I just wanna say congratulations and thank you to the debates commission for actually getting this one right. Now, depending on which media outlet you uh, listen to, the CBC says, oh yeah, Rachel Notley completely owned Danielle Smith. And then True North says, oh yeah, Danielle Smith walked away from that one. And all those in between just kind of, well, they all had their own take on it. So here's mine. Um, Rachel Notley just looked tired. Uh, and she was constantly referring to her notes. And she tried to get a few personal digs in at Danielle Smith. And Danielle Smith actually handled it pretty gracefully. She uh, was actually willing to admit that, yep, I made a mistake here. And, you know, let's carry on. This is what I'm doing. And Ala, the uh, United States, the Alberta Ethics Commissioner released the day of the debate, their report on the the allegations that Danielle Smith interfered in the legal process with uh, Arthur Pawlowski in his his court case because he was charged in uh, the Coots border blockade. And it it reported that she did violate the, the Alberta ethics laws, but not that she interfered with uh, with legal proceedings. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. You do that, A, in the middle of an cam election campaign, and B, the very day of the, the only televised leaders debate. So uh, way to go, Alberta deep state. I didn't know you existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I mean, the thing that I that I've always liked about Danielle Smith, um, especially since her, uh, her interview on our show was that she is willing to admit when she makes mistakes, that she is willing to take responsibility for the mistakes that she made. Um, that is not something I've seen from any other politician in a, an extremely long time. Um, in fact, I don't remember the last time a politician did publicly acknowledge mistakes and take responsibility for them. Um, I honestly don't remember the last time that happened. And yep. she did that on our show. She did that in other interviews that, that I've seen her in. She did that in the debates. Um, she said, yeah, I made a mistake. I mean, you know what? That's great because she's showing that she's human. The humans make mistakes. Like people have this warped idea of politicians as if they're infallible or something. Like that they that they're they're better than the rest of us. That they don't make mistakes or that they're somehow smarter and more intelligent or or uh, less prone to human nature um than the rest of us but it's not they're they're human and in fact m many of them are just bad people and and they're there for self interests and for their own you know advancement and and uh and and financial gain uh so for someone like like danielle smith to actually say yeah i made a mistake when she crossed the floor 
when she was the leader of the of the uh, Wild Rose Party, and she crossed the floor to the BC or to the Alberta Conservative Party, she admitted that was a mistake. She shouldn't have done that. Um, she uh, she has admitted, you know, that that she's made mistakes over over time. I want to see politicians say, "Hey, we tried this; it didn't work. So let's try something else." Or, hey, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I made a mistake and it won't happen again. Or I'll yeah. do my best for something like that not to happen again. You know, like, like it's refreshing. And look, look, she broke some ethics rules there. Okay. All right. Well, let's have her, you know, I, I'm sure that she took responsibility for it. And I'm sure that she apologized for it. Um, I didn't personally see it, but just knowing her character from from the uh, from the interview on our show and from other other things that I've seen of her, I'm assuming that she has actually taken responsibility for that and apologized for it. You never saw Justin Trudeau do that in his many violations. He's never taken responsibility. Oh, that's right, and it was. Uh... And it, it had come up in the debate that the Alberta government introduced the uh, what they call the Compassionate Intervention Act, which you and I have talked about before, which is mandatory treatment for uh, for addicts, and yeah. especially those who are committing crimes. And I think Rachel Notley doesn't understand that that actually has public support, not just in Alberta, but all across Canada. The whole country yeah. is watching this act. Yeah. And she, like her boss Jagmeet Singh and his friend Justin Trudeau, still want to talk about harm reduction. Well, you live in BC, Lewis. How's how's that harm reduction working out for you guys? Well, harm reduction here has resulted in uh, overdose death rates uh, tripling in Ooh. the past in the past, uh, I believe, eight years. Well, then, so much for that harm reduction. That almost sounds like a harm increase. Yeah, well, in Canada, there only seems to be one province that's actually achieving harm reduction, and that's Alberta. Uh, their overdose overdose death rate in the past four years has has been cut in half. So I think that you know what they're doing is working, and what the rest of us is doing is not. And uh, so yeah, Rachel Notley, you're an idiot, and you need to. Uh, you know, stop playing politics and actually look at what's really happening. What's really happening is that the Harm Reduction Act is working. Um, and and the, the, the steps that other provinces are taking is not. Yeah, exactly. And um, speaking of Rachel Notley and playing politics, so three of her uh, candidates, well, at least three that we know of, are actually known communists and i know we've made jokes before about the ndp being a communist party but these folks are deciding to take it out in real time and yes we'll bring you the receipts ndp candidate in calgary northeast gurinder brar had actually shared several facebook memes one with a picture of chairman mao um all supporting communism and he had one that was santa marks who will take toys from all the kids and distribute them equally. And then there was another one of Chairman Mao that was discussing that uh, 
I can't remember the exact wording of the meme now because I didn't uh, I didn't screenshot the meme, but it was saying that you know revolution doesn't have to be violent but we're ready for violence if necessary. And of course, Mr. Brar has deleted all these memes since it became public, but he's not the only one. There's a candidate, uh, Rod Loyola, who's a name I, re I, I recognize his name. I think he was a union organizer, if I'm not mistaken, but I haven't lived in Edmonton for 20 years now. So at the, he's the candidate for Edmonton Ellerslie. And he actually walked with the Communist Party of Canada's Edmonton Club in a, in a parade right at the front of the front of the parade and diane batten who is a you know, ndp candidate calgary acadia had retweeted posts commemorating the american hacker aaron swartz who was a known communist from a, a communist site called vote communist may 4th i guess she's following that site and sharing their tweets she uh might be associated with being a communist way to go rachel notley how many more do we have yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, all this does is confirm our suspicions, right? <laughs> I mean, all this does is confirm the things that we've been saying for the last, well, God, I mean, I've known you for, you know, 25 years or something now. Yep. So it's, you know, we've been saying that for 25 plus years that the NDP or nothing but, you know, communist light. Well, now we've got people that are actually full-on communist supporters yes. or communism supporters so you know i mean it's not surprising i mean i think we've seen stuff like this before um this is just the latest uh i mean we've seen it in the federal party we've seen it in you know i've i've seen it here in bc in the provincial politics as well um so i mean yeah this is nothing i've i haven't seen before it's not it's not all that surprising to be quite honest, but you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's actually out in the open. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just it. They're not, not really hiding it. Well, I guess they are because they are deleting all their posts and whatnot, but uh... yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Don't let them see who I really am. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> since we're on the subject of communists, let's move to the liberal party of Canada. I'm not suggesting that they're communists, but they certainly seem to like their communists. Yes. It appears that our liberal government has actually, uh, well, they've sent $200,000 over the last three years to a, a group called the Service à la Famille Chinoise du Grand Montreal, who is, uh, just happens to be a charity that is funding, allegedly, one of two known Chinese police stations in Montreal. How about that? So let me get this straight. So the federal government is indirectly funding the Chinese police station. The federal government is indirectly funding the Chinese police stations. And there, apparently there's actually more than what we know of for, for police stations. And serial liar Marco Mendicino finally had to let those words out of his mouth in the House of Commons that... Oh, whoops, yep, and well, the RCMP haven't shut those ones down either. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marco, Marco, I, God, Marco Mendicino is such a moron. Um, <laughs> I, he, is, he is, outside of Justin Trudeau, the biggest liar in the Liberal caucus. That guy lies so much that he doesn't know what is true anymore 
Like he he only one person lies more than him, and that's Justin Trudeau. Yeah, that's true. And it's uh, you know, actually, when when you mentioned that, I remember I once worked for a guy who was such a chronic liar that he honestly just believed his own BS. And and I kind of thought, I mean, this guy is so psychopathic, he would easily pass a polygraph because he uh, sincerely believes what he's saying. So his heart yeah. would never change when he's lying. And I think that's what Marco Mendicino's like. So he, because he always seems quite surprised when someone calls him out on his BS and then he has to actually look at, you know, facts once in a while. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, the, it, why is it that there are so many liberal supported charities that end up being you know crooked they end up being uh um what's the word i'm looking for uh they end up in being activist groups more than actually charities i mean like that that charity you're talking about that that is has allegedly been supporting or funding the 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 that Chinese police station. Um, I mean, what it translates to is like the name of it is to, is uh, uh, it's a the charity for uh, uh, Chinese immigrant families. Um, so they that's what they support. Like they're supposedly supporting newly newly arrived Chinese families that have immigrated from china um but what they're really doing is is you know funding these illegal pol chinese police stations to intimidate those newly arrived <laughs> chinese families um and then you had you know the we charity you had all of these they're, 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 these are just two of of several groups that the liberal government has been supporting that turned out to be illegitimate yeah and there was a actually it was a CSIS thing he didn't leave his name at least i couldn't find his name in any of the reports i'd read he was a former CSIS uh, security intelligence chief and he actually said that this chinese election interference is at the the stage where it's and this is his his quote close to treason and he was saying that when when these people are caught and prosecuted, he said there needs to be jail time for those who've been interfering in our elections. And he said it's been happening since the Mulroney days. So we're talking 30 years of of Chinese state actors influencing Canadian democracy. So uh, this runs deep, man. This is really deep. Yeah. And I mean, don't don't kid yourself. Don't don't think that it's only the Chinese. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, there's been Russian interference. I'm sure there's been American interference. Well, we know uh, there has been. Yeah, and I'm sure that there's been British interference and, you know, German interference. I mean, we're, we're doing it in other countries, you know. I mean, this, this isn't anything new, but the Chinese seem to have taken it to a whole new level. Um, I mean, we know we know that the intimidation tactics is something that the Chinese government uh, does, uh, you know, and this is something that I've always been a little leery about when it comes to um, 
you know, Chinese immigrants and stuff is that because of how the of how uh, the the Chinese government is so oppressive and so they're so in control. They have their hands around every single Chinese neck in China. That they also have control over many of the Chinese people living around the world, like because they because they can intimidate their families back home. They can imprison them. They can put them in in, in work camps, and unless the person you know who's living in Ottawa or in Berlin or in you know. Um, in London, it does what they want them to do. And it's, and now that they've got, now that we find out that they've got these police stations in all these foreign countries, because we're finding out that they're all over the place. They're not just in Canada. They're in the U S too. They're in, they're in England, um, that, you know, and they're doing it to, they're actually, you know, intimidating those those immigrants in those countries now and not just their families back home and so i mean it's and i mean and then what was it a few years ago we actually saw that list of cccp members from our, that that hold really important positions all around the world um there was over three thousand people that were on this list of cccp members uh that hold high positions powerful positions in corporations and governments around the world and they're reporting back to the chinese government yeah i mean and, actually we've seen those in universities as well yeah and and we've and that was all that we heard about it we we heard about this list and then boom gone it's out of the news cycle we never heard about it again and it's and it's like and now we find out about these police stations well, so these people, obviously, this is my assumption, and I think it's, you know, pretty, uh, it's pretty safe to, to assume that my assumptions are, are correct here, is that these people that are on that list are reporting back to these police stations, or these police stations are, you know, intimidating them in their positions and getting them to you know send them information that they're sending back to the ccp in beijing and i think it's pretty safe to assume that that's what's happening but yet we heard about that list for all of five seconds and then boom gone out of the news cycle never heard about it again and this is one of the i i think one of the biggest espionage stories that we have ever that's ever been uncovered and it's not being reported on. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think your uh, your uh, summation that I mean this uh, that the Chinese have taken this to the next level is absolutely right. I mean, because uh, it's not just Canada; it's everywhere. And I'm glad it's finally being exposed in Canada. And just the the level to which it's happening here is actually pretty terrifying. Because the more we find out, the more we see what's going on. And I mean, suddenly we realize that guys like Sam Cooper, for example, with Global, who has been on this case for decades, 
we're just finding out that holy crap i mean uh you guys are just scratching the surface here so how much does to, to people like sam cooper actually know that still hasn't even come out yet like it's uh it's scary as hell yeah no it absolutely is and it doesn't seem like people are taking it seriously yeah not yet anyway so so okay yeah. let's uh let's grab one more topic here before we wrap up and that is governor general the former governor general david johnson who is our special rapporteur i'm sorry i can't say that with a regular voice or straight face because it's just a dumb name pierre polyev nailed it it's a fake title for a fake job he is set to release his report on tuesday as to whether or not we need a special a public inquiry for this uh chinese election interference actually it's, it's for foreign election interference it's not just for chinese interference i should say yeah so um yeah he's set to release his report on tuesday lewis let's take a shot in the dark what do you think this report is going to find Oh, I think it's going to find that the uh, liberal government has doing has been doing everything they can to prevent foreign interference in our elections and that there is no need for a uh, public inquiry. So what you're saying is the liberal government has had a liberal friendly person investigate the liberal party to find that the liberal party had done nothing wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, especially when you consider that the the uh what the parameters of his report is supposed to be about right like he was given instructions that he was supposed to investigate the liberals actions the, the liberal government's actions in relation to foreign interference not into the actual foreign interference just into their actions to oppose it and to stop it from happening and he's going to come back and say they've done everything that they could and uh and that there's no need for a public inquiry. Wow, when you said that just now, it made me think there was another inquiry that was done by Justice Rouleau recently. And Justice Rouleau was told, we need you to investigate the government's actions in response to the Freedom Convoy and yeah. discover that the government did nothing wrong. And Justice Rouleau <laughs> reported that what do you know the government did nothing wrong and was justified in the emergencies act just yeah. like the government will investigate itself and discover that they were heroes in foreign election interference <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yeah they, yeah, they no, they're gonna be they're gonna sound like trump right nobody has ever done more to combat foreign interference <laughs> in Canadian elections than the Liberal Party of Canada. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, that, that's ex actually exactly what I'm expecting as well. And it's, uh, yeah. it's unfortunate because we actually do need a public inquiry. Although with how corrupt this government is, I don't even know if a public inquiry would be uh, completely legit anyway, because they would again, handpick their partisan hacks to, to lead the inquiry. Yeah. Like, uh, I think the Gomery inquiry, which was like 2002, was the last one that I've seen that actually produced any concrete results and actually ended up in, well, it ended up bringing the, the Paul Martin liberal government to a minority and then uh, Paul Martin's own idiocy lost in the 2006 election. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, Gomery actually went after the well that was the uh, sponsorship scandal correct yep 
yeah, I mean, that one actually ended up with getting some results, but nothing else I've seen since has. And I, uh, yep, I'm pretty sure that the family friend, the the cottage neighbor, the skiing buddy of the Trudeau family, the former member of the Trudeau Foundation will probably find that the Trudeau government, as you said, has done the most of any government to fight foreign election interference. Yeah, no, it's, that's exactly it. I, I just, it, and this, this just goes to show that more and more, I think that my comments a few weeks back or a couple of months back um, are more valid than ever is the, you know, I think that the, I think that the opposition parties are the ones that should select the, uh, the person who investigates the government. The government should never be the one to investigate themselves. Um, it, it should be the, the, the opposition parties that select someone that they can all agree on that will be as impartial as possible um, to, to be the one to investigate the federal government. I mean, why, why would you, you should have someone who is in there trying to find something on the government. And if they can't, then that would satisfy me. But you've got someone in there who's just trying to find reasons not to have an investigation. So, yeah, exactly right. And um, this just came up a couple of days ago. And I, and you know, speaking of governors general, now we already know that David Johnson, for example, Mikhail Jean, Adrian Clarkson, all all living former governors general, including Julie Payette, have a two hundred thousand dollar allowance to run their office and office. Uh, and up until six months after they pass away. And well, Mary Simon and Julie Payette certainly took advantage of a very generous clothing allowance that we give to governors general that I knew nothing about until last week. We, the Canadian taxpayer, for a five-year period, will allow governors general to expense $130,000 for clothing. Mary Simon and her... What has she been a year, maybe two in office has already expensed $38,000 to Canadian taxpayers for clothing. I'm 51 years old. I don't think I've spent $38,000 on clothing in my life. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say the same thing. I don't think I've ever spent, I don't know if I've spent more than 10 grand on clothing in the past 20 years. I mean, wow. I mean, I get it when it's um, ceremonial garb, for example. I mean, if you're at, a, say, an RCMP graduation and since you're governor general, they want you in a red surge. Okay, you know what? Yeah, as a taxpayer, I'll buy that. She has to have military uniforms for all three branches of the Canadian Armed Forces. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll certainly expense that. But she expensed a hat. She's expensed gloves. And shoes and like all the kind of stuff that we normally would wear every day to the Canadian taxpayer. And as one of the shows I was listening to earlier this week pointed out, okay, she makes oh, 340,000 some dollars a year. And I don't know if that money is taxable or not as governor general, but regardless, she makes a heck of a lot of money. She 
probably could afford to buy her own shoes. I mean, I uh, every two years I got to buy steel toe boots for work. Sometimes, sometimes more frequently if they wear out. But usually, I get two years out of a pair of steel toe boots. That's three hundred bucks out of my pocket. So um, maybe she could pony up a little bit for her own footwear. Yeah. No, I know it's like when I've I know because like I have to wear specific clothing and and that for my uh for my line of work because you know like you know regular regular uh pants aren't good enough you gotta i gotta have like canvas pants right like carhartts um none of that is tax deductible because like you can try and you can maybe do it but if you ever get audited they're gonna say uh no like uh nice try because you can and people do wear those that clothing outside of work and so that and trust me i've had a lot of i own my business so i know what revenue canada will do and say about stuff like that um uh it's very difficult steel toe boots is one thing you can uh write off uh, as a as an expense but it doesn't get paid for, right? Like your steel toes cost 300 bucks, but basically you're saving about eh, 30 bucks when you, when you do a tax write-off for that. Uh, but she actually gets her clothes paid for. Like, like we're paying for her clothes. Yep. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. She makes, you know, four, well, more than three times what the, uh, what, what, what most Canadians make more than three times, three and a half times what most Canadians make. Well, 340 grand. Okay. So she's making like four, four times. Four what times most, easily. Yeah. What most Canadians make in a year. And those Canadians taxes pay that salary. Plus those Canadians taxes pay for her wardrobe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. crazy, crazy. And the thing is, you know, damn well that she's not shopping at her local giant tiger like I do. And she's buying nothing from Walmart. So, um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it's pathetic. The, uh, the waste, the corruption that goes on in government and, uh, we keep exposing it for you every week, Canada. And uh, so I'm sure you're probably as angry as we are about it. It's just, it's shameful how much we as Canadian taxpayers get constantly abused. And well, I guess we keep taking it because we keep reelecting liberals and we have been for, well, better part of a hundred years. So well, I guess I mean, on us. Yeah. And I mean, it, I mean, you just take a quick look at like the Toronto mayoral race right now. I mean, uh, Olivia Chow is, is the leading candidate right now. Like if there was an election today, she wins and, and she's, she has taken advantage of public programs when she was the, she was a sitting city councillor in the city of Toronto and lived in subsidized housing. I mean, there's, and yet she's leading the race right now. Yeah. And okay. Since you brought her up, I didn't, I wasn't going to mention this, 
But I saw on her Twitter feed this morning, she proposes that the Toronto taxpayer should be paying for affordable housing. The city of Toronto needs to take back affordable housing and build it themselves. I thought, okay, speaking of communists, we've got another one, Toronto. Please, for the love of God, don't elect Olivia Chow. Yeah, but they will. And and they'll and they'll keep electing her, even though things are gonna get worse. They're gonna get more expensive. They're gonna get, you know, they because I mean they're because the people of Toronto keep voting for Justin Trudeau. Why would they not keep voting for Olivia Chow, too? I mean, she has never proven herself at all to be a leader of any kind. Not even once. She was a city councillor and she was an MP. She has never been a leader of a party. She has never, you know, been a mayor or anything like that. So now she's running for mayor, but she has never in her career, in the, in the 30 years that I've known of her existence, has she ever taken a leadership role? Yeah, so... Please don't give her one now, Toronto. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. Look, I mean, I, I haven't been in Toronto for over 20 years, but we actually need Toronto to, uh, for a strong Canada. And she's not the one. Please, Toronto, I'm begging you. I will never cheer for your hockey team, but for crying out loud, don't elect Olivia Chow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Just don't do it. I'll, if you guys, if you, if you, if you don't vote for Olivia Chow, you you get a different mayor. I will quietly cheer for the Leafs next year. There we go. You heard it. Lewis pledged a quiet, tacit support for the Leafs. If you don't elect Olivia Chow, hey, you know what? I'll get I'll get on board with that too. I'll even uh, I'll even give more praise to the defending Grey Cup champion Argonauts. There oh, we go. That's the answer. But I'll do I'll do that too. Okay. okay. <laughs> there we go. Well, let's wrap it up on that high note. Uh, thank you for joining us, Canada. And until next week, it's Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. <laughs>